This is the I Went Down to the River podcast. I'm Dan Walton, and I will sit down with fellow alums and talk about what it meant to be a part of the Hawken football program and wear the wings. We share stories of friendship, memorable games, funny moments, and how football made us who we are. You don't need to be on a bus for these tangs. Now let's go down to the river. Today's guest was a two-way lineman that played right tackle and on the defensive interior. He was voted captain by his peers his senior year due to his work ethic and respect that his teammates had for him. His jersey number in the program was 54. I am pleased to be joined by class of 2005, 2006 academically, John Gottlieb. John, thanks for sharing your time and taking this trip down to the river. Absolutely. Thank you for uh, for inviting me and having me join. It's good to see you. Um, we are recording this with video. That will not be in the final version of this podcast, but just for the listener, unintentionally, we both are wearing the exact same T-shirt today. So, John, way to be in lockstep with me today. Yeah, and I was saying yours is a little bit more worn than mine is, which I don't know. We can we can discuss why that may be. Maybe uh, yours has been around for a few more years than, than mine. But yeah, a lot of usage. Um, good thing. We both still fit into them OK. Yeah, mine's actually a little big on me, which made me feel pretty good <laughs> about myself. <laughs> John, I want to start off and I want you to uh, take a moment to speak to your earliest memory of Hawking football. Yeah, so. I have a, I have probably an earliest memory, but I think I have a couple of earliest memories because believe it or not, I have some vivid memories of middle school Hawking football. Um, maybe just as vivid as my, my high school uh, Hawking football memories. So I think probably my earliest memory, well, I have a, a brother who's a couple years older who also played Hawking football. And so um, I'm sure I went to some of his middle school games when I was in, I don't know, probably fourth grade, um, fourth or fifth grade. But I don't, I guess I don't really remember those all that much. I think my first memory is, um, is that that first middle school practice where you would get fit for your pads and you'd go into, I think it was the Brown gym, the Brown gym or the gray gym, the gym that was near the, the library. That's the Brown gym. Brown gym. And all the pads would be lined up there and you'd go through and you'd pick your, your hip pads and your thigh pads and you'd pick out all your pads. And I, I kind of had no idea what was what, like, I think I accidentally took, you know, I put like my knee pads in where my thigh pads are supposed to go <laughs> and vice versa. You probably and, weren't the only one to do that. Yeah, I'm sure. And then, uh, then you get to the end of the line, you got all your stuff and coach Brandt, uh, comes over and uh, he actually, he's, he's got all the helmets lined up. So he's, you know, you go through, you pick all your stuff and you got the helmets there at the end and he's got all the helmets lined up and he's fitting you for your helmet. And I, I, I have this vivid memory. I don't know why of him handing me a helmet. I put it on and then he grabs you by the face mask and just whips your head around and goes, all right, yep, this is the right size for you. And, and that's my first memory of hawking football and just getting my, my head wrong by coach Brandt, making sure the helmet fit properly I'm sure now they're probably doing um, uh, some more uh, scientific helmet fittings than, than that, which is good. Um, but that's my, probably my first memory. And that helmet was just a, a bare white helmet. 
Uh, nothing on it. I think they were white. Um, I know we had gray at the high school, but I think that was white. And we would uh, we would decorate those helmets before our first game with uh, only the best high end fancy electric tape. We put a, a stripe of. I think it was one stripe of black and then two stripes of red electric tape over the, over the top of them. And that was our, that was how we decorated our helmets for, uh, for middle school football. And uh, so that, I mean, I've got vivid memories of that. And uh, when I was in seventh grade, our eighth grade team was, was pretty good. I remember um, Eric Tupta was on that team and, uh, he played middle linebacker and I remember watching, I didn't play a whole lot on the eighth grade team when I was in seventh grade, but um, I remember watching him, you know, we'd have our fancy blitz packages, Mike, uh, Mike, a Mike, Mike uh, B those are the, you know, the, the blitz calls and he'd come up to the line and just barrel through the line and usually tackle the running back or the quarterback before the running back even got the ball. Um so I remember those, those days. And then, um, you know, obviously coach Davis, uh, coaching our line, um, had some, had some good memories there. Um, and then, um, I, our eighth grade team, we were, uh, we were okay. I mean, we, we, uh, we could hang with some of the other CVC schools, some of those Valley schools that we would play. Um, and I remember a game that we played um, at, we were at, I think it was Cardinal, either Cardinal or I'm pretty sure it was Cardinal, Cardinal or Newberry. I think it was Cardinal. And uh, I played center then um, on that, that eighth grade team. Uh, I hated it because I, 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 <laughs> I had small hands. I think I do have small hands. And so I had a hard time, gripping the ball and snapping it, which is kind of funny because that's really the one of the key roles of being the center. It's kind of where it starts. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's kind of where it starts. And so I remember Stuart Ralston was our quarterback and he's under center and he, he's there. And, you know, there was the, the play was, I forgot what play it was, but there was some sort of motion. Like, again, our fancy motion calls. It was like zipper zap. The, the, the motion guy, Haas, was supposed to come in motion. <laughs> and the, the, the snap was on the color. So, you know, our, our cadence then was pretty simple. Down red, uh, I think it was just down red, hut, hut. Color, uh, down color, one, two. So we were, on the, we were on the color. And so Rawson's under center and goes down. And that's when the motion's supposed to start. Well, motion doesn't start. So he comes from under center and yells to the motion guy, zip. And I just hear something, right? <laughs> so I snap the ball. He's not even behind me. The ball goes up in the air. He catches the ball on a fly and runs like 80 yards for a touchdown, you know, on the outside. And I think it was a waggle or something. Well, we didn't really run the play right, but uh, ended up in the right place at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> in, in selecting who – is going to be the center on the offensive line. There's a lot of thought that goes into it from the coaching staff because the center has to be wired a little bit differently than guard and tackle. And the center has to be someone that is kind of, that is not twitchy and yeah. is not going to respond to, in this case, Ralston calling out zip out loud and you thinking it's part of the cadence. Cause that's the next thing I hear. Um, that's fine. <laughs> it, it worked out though, right? It worked out. It worked out in the end. Uh, I think we got to win that day. Um, 
And then another another good memory from that year was we were playing Berkshire. This was at Berkshire. And uh, the game didn't start off well for us. And uh, one of the <laughs> – one of the officials was just not having a good game. And, uh, you know, middle school officials are probably, you know, they're, you got to feel for them a little bit. They're doing the best they can. But this guy was just missing calls left and right. And Coach Brandt was all over him the entire <laughs> game. And at one point, the, the official turns around and says to him, you better, he was like, you better back up or you better stop, stop yelling or I'm going to throw the flag on you. And Brant goes, you're not going to throw the flag on me. You don't even have a flag. He knew he, he could see that that official didn't have his flag with him. That's why he wasn't calling anything. So sure enough, the official calls timeout, runs across the field to the other official, takes his flag and throws the flag on coach Brant. And, and gave us 15 yards, but <laughs> obviously trying to prove a point that that official was, uh, was bungling things because he, he seemed to forget his flag. So middle school officiating is, is uh, you know, at its finest there. That story is accurate. Um, that was <laughs> that was my first year teaching and coaching at Hawken, your eighth grade year. So that was fall of 01. And I remember heading out to that Berkshire game and it was the official who was on our side and it was a great combination of missing every obvious call and calling phantom calls. And Coach Brandt was getting worked up, like you said. And whatever the actual call was, I do not remember. But I remember he was telling him how he felt. And he turned and he basically was letting him know, if you keep going, I'm going to throw a flag. And like you said, Coach Brandt was like, well, then throw it. It would be the first one. Yeah. And he ghost pulls at his waistband and comes out with nothing. <laughs> and so he he pulls at it. And at that point, it's like, oh, my gosh. And so he's like motioning for the head official in the middle of the field. And it goes on to basically he has to borrow a flag from one of his fellow officials to throw a 15 yarder on Coach Brandt. Yeah. That was uh, that was crazy. That yeah. that middle school sports, that's like where you'll see it all. Yeah, you'll see, totally. it, all. You'll see it all. That same game, we uh, it was like fourth and one or fourth and inches, and uh, we had the ball, and and Coach Brand calls a timeout, comes out to the huddle, and he says, "Okay." We're going to we, – we, this play wasn't in the playbook, but the play was a QB sneak. Pretty simple, right? He's like, okay, we're going to run a QB sneak, and we're going to do it on the goose. And so he's like <laughs> explaining to us what that means. And so, you know, goose is silent silent count, and the quarterback kind of gives a motion to the center, center snaps the ball, and you go. So we, we, we get up there, we line up, and uh, – <laughs> So Ralston, you know, gives the, gives the goose. And I don't remember if we got the first down or didn't get the first down, but after the play, one of our guards, Nick Solomon, is still in his stance after the play. And, and I look at him. We get back in the huddle. I'm like, we look at each other. Nick, what, what was that? He goes, I thought you were going to say goose. <laughs> he was waiting for the goose. Uh Sometimes yeah. you need to uh, you need to walk through it. You can't just talk through it. 
That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, I think we did walk through it. I think he just missed it, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so those were, those were some of my, my earliest hockey and football memories of, of middle school. And then one other one I'll give you, which is when I was in middle school, but this not a middle school memory was, um, was uh, 2001. Um, the first game after September 11th and the, the terrorist attacks and uh, we went to the high school game at Wycliffe, right? Was you remember this? This was the first. I think this I do. Was the first game yeah. after that was played after those attacks, and um, and we ended up we ended up losing in I think like the triple or quadruple overtime, um, triple. Yeah, and, and but but I remember that game, and I just remember the teams running out, and I remember we had flag stickers on the back of our helmets, and I think Wycliffe they were the home team. They came out with a big flag and. Matt Corian ended up running for, I don't know, four touchdowns, five touchdowns, 400 yards or something ridiculous in that game. Um, but I just remember I, I, I have a vivid memory of that game just because of what that meant of, you know, um, bouncing back and, and getting things getting back uh, after September 11th. And I, I don't know what the date of that game was. I don't know if we took a couple of weeks off or if that was right that next week, but uh but yeah, that was another another. We did early. not take any time off. That was a Thursday night game. Mm, got it. Um, yeah. And the reason that that sticks out the most, being a Thursday night game, is just a crushing, crushing loss um, against a great Wycliffe team. Just two teams laying it all on the line and going back and forth. And some of the things that um, register to my memory right now. You're talking about Matt Corn. Matt Corn was our tailback that year played linebacker as well um he has the school record for most all-purpose yardage in a game with 509 in that game um he had five rushing touchdowns in that game uh his rushing yardage was 352 which was the record at the time and then uh, 10 years later went on and uh broke it with 399 but um so matt corn and the rest of the team just going back and forth and we line up at the end of uh, i think it was regulation and jeff back our kicker goes for a, a kick from probably like 40 yards and uh my mm -hmm. dad is not one of the biggest uh kick supporters so to speak you know we'll kick the extra point and maybe once a year try a field goal so to line up this 40 yarder spoke to uh both Jeff's ability and kind of let's try to win it right here. And it came up short. And um, the reason I remember it as a Thursday is I remember rolling into uh, school Friday morning and getting a coffee in the uh, cafeteria and an administrator comes up to me with a smile and just said, that was a great game last night. They scored some and we scored some. And I had this pause moment and I look at them and I'm like, we lost. <laughs> And it just ended that awkward conversation, but yeah. yikes. <laughs> well, we, we scored some, they scored some more, I guess would be probably more appropriate, but yeah, but anyway, that, but that, that was, as you just stated in the record books is one of the, the greatest Easily. performances. And Easily. History. So you're, do you remember how many teammates you had on the middle school team that year? Ballpark. 
I don't know. We were probably well in, in our year or year, between year. the two years. I must have been around because your senior class was eight, but it was not all middle school players. There were kids that joined us. No, we must have been around like 15, 20. We definitely had some that dropped off. Um, mm-hmm. Haas, who who didn't go in motion. Um, he, he didn't play in high school. We definitely had some that dropped off. I feel like we had a pretty strong, pretty strong numbers in that that uh, that year. Yeah. That so class. for those listening at uh, at our middle school, um, there was a sport requirement. So we had um, people that would come out and join the team and have a great experience for two years and continue on as freshmen. Um, and other times where they would complete their two-year expectation and then just either move on to a different sport or decide not to do one. Um, Pros and cons to that philosophy. That's been something that over the years, internally and externally, the school has debated about. Um, So eight in your graduating class, I want to sort of change our conversation over to your four years with those eight and emphasizing the relationships that you build and foster with them. And I want to start off with a quote from a writer, um, Nike Thaddeus, and it goes a little something like this quote, we don't live through life only by our own experiences. We live through life with other people's experience as a reference to. And a big focus of the Hawking football experience and then this podcast and putting these together is for individuals like yourself to come in and spend some time sharing those stories that you got to experience with your teammates and the value years later that they have on you decisions made and just general uh, ways that you go about your living. Um, Speak Mm -hmm. a little bit to the relationships from classmates, maybe underclassmen, upperclassmen, and just some of the impact uh, that you've experienced. Yeah. I mean, we used to, talk about this a lot of that the team is your family, right. Then your football family. Um, and you know, to this day, the, the, my football family has remained some of my best friends. Um, and you know, you, you have that, those, those shared experiences together, those things that you've gone through together, the adversity, um, you know, overcoming that adversity together. Um, and you've, you have those shared experiences that really, that really bind you together to one another. And that's not just with those other seven guys in my class. Um, but that's with, you know, everybody you played with and even those you didn't play with, um, of, you know, people that played years ahead of you or years after you, you have that common bond, you have that shared, shared experience, Um, And you know what those guys went through. Um, And even if you didn't go through it with them together, you have that, that common ground and that, that bind, um, you know, that, that, that brings you, uh, that brings you together. And so, I mean, those guys, yeah, I mean, 
we went through a lot together um, in those four years. You know, we went through a lot in the senior in our senior year. We went through a lot in those four years, um, and and because of that, the, those guys are you know are are you know our football family. They are family, um, and and like I said, they're still some of my best friends today. And I know that's true for for people that played together in any any you know any year, any decade, any any generation. Uh, which is a special thing for sure. So, you know, going through those highs and those lows of that season, just, uh, it just tightens the existing relationship, uh, having to struggle through, um, the preseason struggling through the elements of heat and cold. Um, and just the expectations that we put on ourselves and each other for this season being our senior season. Um, Let's go with that struggle and let's do a little word association for you, John. So what do you think of when I give you this summer two a days? Nausea. (laughs) I mean, those days were, those days were tough. Those days were long. Can I keep going or you want to just hit one word? This could be therapeutic. Yeah, it could be therapeutic. You get out there early. It's hot. It's it's you know August, and uh, and and the you you start off with the stretch, and then you go right into stations, and that's where the nausea comes in. <laughs> right after stations, uh, what was your least favorite? I think station? my least favorite was the ladder station. The two ladders set up. I think that was Coach McClintock Station, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um. And it was my least favorite because it was continuous. Like you were, you were basically like you would go and then because he had two ladders and if you only had 10 guys in the station, you had five and five. And so like you're going, you get to the end, you jog back to the other side and you're basically going again. So it was continuous um, versus some of the other stations where, you know, it'd be like a couple guys at a time. And you, you, I think it was, it was either your station or coach Reddy's where, you, you, you know, you do like the, I think it was maybe your station. You, you, you get like four guys on the line. They'd go through something, you know, they'd, they'd do like shuttles or whatever, or ladder, yeah. Yeah, shuttles. And then a lot of change direction, change stuff. direction. But, but that like took time. So you had some time to catch your breath in between um, versus the ladders where you would just go. Um, and so th- that was, those were tough. And then uh, you'd finish the morning session with uh with 40 yard dashes you know whatever your your fourth quarter fourth quarter before we went on lunch break the morning session and then you get on that lunch break and you're just you're still like you're still sitting in the heat trying to catch some shade under the concession stand which like you know you'd be lucky if you were sitting on something other than the 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 pebbles on the on the ground and uh and I'd try to take down like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or something. You always you always have the guys that would bring out some sort of ridiculous like leftover chicken palm or something <laughs> from the night before, and you're like, "How the hell are you eating that right now?" Uh, <laughs> or or we'd talk to the underclassmen about like what would be a good choice for the lunch break, and they still chose to bring like a, a salami on rye with a mustard. What are you doing? (laughs) Like I'm trying to get down like toast basically. Um, And then we'd go in for the defensive meeting 
And that's where you would struggle to stay awake because you're tired. It's been a long morning. You had your lunch and coach Moses is up there diagramming defenses. And you're sitting there like basically like trying to hold your eyelids open, trying to stay awake through that defensive meeting. Uh, who, who is most likely to fall asleep in that defensive install? Definitely Keezy. Malcolm was definitely <laughs> had to have been most likely to fall asleep. I don't remember him being the uh, most likely, but um, a couple years, I don't, I don't know if it was one year after you or two years, but um, without fail, Jarrell. Lee. Oh yeah. Jarrell. Yeah. He definitely he, he, lights out, dude. Lights out. He was, my <laughs> he was, he was your my year. year. Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, <laughs> I feel, I feel like there were times he was asked to stand. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you'd probably get a 5% if you fell asleep in that meeting, right? Uh, not for the first time. I think if it just kept happening, I don't, I don't remember any given for that. Yeah. Well, that was, but it is possible. That was always a struggle. And then, yeah. So then you'd go out for the the afternoon session and then you hold on. And then I, you know, you go in, you watch some film, you get home, it's like three thirty, four o'clock and you're sitting in an ice bath and then you're trying to, you can't even like get out of bed the next day. Those first couple of days I remember were pretty, pretty rough. So part part two, part two of the two a day. So Coach Moses is doing his defensive install, and then it's like, all right, let's go take the field. The first minute out, and it's like guaranteed mid to upper eighties, and the sun is just cooking, and that's that's the challenging part. I don't even starting the, starting back up. Yeah, I don't even remember those afternoon sessions. I, it's like, yeah, I mean, you're by that point you're beat. Um, I remember actually we we would do. Uh, I think this started in two days. I can't remember if this started in two days or during practice, but we would uh, we would do a pursuit drill at some point in that afternoon session, and we started this this thing. Which I don't know. Hopefully, this became a tradition of just getting like all sorts of amped up for pursuit trail, like going crazy guys doing like push-ups on the sidelines. Did we start that or did that start before us? Uh, I remember your group doing it first. And I remember one of the first times looking at the, the twos were out there taking a rep and you guys were on the sideline and I hear noise and all this commotion. And I look over and like, Keezy's on all fours like he's a dog trying to rush the field and he's barking and getting all fired up and someone's got a like a grip on his jersey trying to like hold him back and everyone's like getting all fired up and I'll tell you what that good for you guys because one of the worst things you could do during that drill is when coach Moses would call the first team back out and anyone sort of like jogging that's a sprint that's a game over game over if someone in the group of 11 did that oh yeah yeah that was so for you so for you guys to sort of manufacture that juice and that energy you had good on you good on you you yeah to 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 stay awake and to to not have that happen where you kind of you jog out there to get back out so yeah we go we go nuts on the sidelines so our is two a days and sort of that initial two weeks of the season is that more physical or is that more mental 
that is more mental for sure. Uh, because after those first couple of days or really the first week, then you're like, you're in it, you're feeling good. Cause you know, you know, you always know what to expect, but you've, you've, you've proven yourself. You can get through a week. Uh, I think we usually would do a scrimmage, right? That in, after that first week, did we used to do that scrimmage or was that, it was usually at, it was usually the middle of the second okay. week or something like Once that. You, you, have that to like, you, you know, you're, 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 you're feeling good. You're in it. You've, you've, that's right. You, you've, you've, that first Sunday, when you get that Sunday off after the first week and you get to like rest and recover on that Sunday and then you're back in it Monday, that Monday you're feeling pretty good at that point. Cause yeah, you've, you've proven yourself mentally that you could, you could conquer the ladders or you could conquer the, the four yard dashes at the end of the, the morning session. You might still be trying to figure out what the right meal is for the, for lunch, but you've, 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 uh, you've proven to yourself that you can, you can get through it. Any secrets to uh, to restore the the body and get the soreness out, uh, so you could show up and be as close to one hundred percent the next day? Well, I remember we were, you know, we always talked about putting extra salt in your food to keep the to retain the water. So you know, a little bit of that. I don't know if that was true or not, but I did it. Uh, I would definitely do some some ice baths, cold. You know, I don't think it was true ice, but just cold water, and uh, and that was really it. Take it easy. Lay, lay low the rest of the time. So pre preseason wasn't the time for uh, any icy hot or anything. <laughs> oh yes. Uh, so I forgot about that. Jeez, I clearly tried to block that out of my memory. Um, was that during two days? Must have been. But that was no. no. That actually was not during two days. That <laughs> that was during the probably the back end of the season because I remember the leaves were starting to change around the, the practice field and uh, yeah, it was definitely not uh, during preseason. So do we need to do we need to delve into that story or? <laughs> We can if you want, or we can just uh, acknowledge that uh, now you... Uh, Let's just say there was icy hot combined with uh, a warm day. So there was some sweating going on, and the and I had a tight groin. And uh, I ended up having to jump in my car and speed home to my house about 25 minutes away to... <laughs> care of the issue <laughs> um who's the trainer your deb, year trainer deb deb he was like so, hey i'm gonna give you some icy hot but you're gonna have to do it yourself <laughs> and that and then that was the, i was gonna was see the, i was gonna say clearly there was not a a, a warning uh or disclaimer no. next to the uh the pump bottle but you learned that icy hot climbs the muscle it's not just single point of exactly. of application Spreads. so you come out to practice and very early on you're in discomfort and it's like, yeah, I'm going to soldier through this. And then quickly it elevates and escalates to, yo, I don't think I can stick around. I think I got to go. Yeah. And I tried tried (laughs) taking care of it in the locker room. Like I jumped into the shower there and for some reason, like, I don't know if it just like, I couldn't find soap or what was going on, but I was like, I got to go home. (laughs) And so we excused you that day and you, uh, you went home and probably the last time you, uh, I haven't used icy hot since yet. <laughs> I'm not sure if that oh. technically put me in the garden club that day or if I got a pass. 
Um, yeah, you were not in Garden Club because you were not there. Right. You had you were you were on your way home. Right. I skipped past Garden Club. Why was it called Garden Club? Where? How did that name? You know what? Let's ask that as a question for the uh, Ask Coach segment because add it. I do not know. We'll add it and we will uh, make sure that it's coming from you. Perfect. So let's uh, let's take a little look um, through the schedule of that senior season. And we don't have to spend a lot of time on each game. But as an overview, we're talking about a season that finished six and four. But that does not tell nearly the whole story. Um, This is a senior season that starts off with a week one opponent of university school and then three other opponents. So that first four um, week gauntlet. There are three playoff teams out of the four, and uh, that's a 37 and 14 cumulative record for those opponents. So some good opponents. Um, we did we did our best. Um, we were kind of trying to find our stride offensively. And I think one of the things we're going to talk about with the 6-0 and finish is the offense really gelling and I'm going to have you eventually speak to that from an offensive line standpoint, because the run game down the stretch just became what we hitched our wagon to. Um, But as far as those first four opponents, any general comments or reflections? Yeah. I mean, um, like you said, those were all tough teams. I think of those first four U S was the one that probably finished the season with the worst record, but they were, they were definitely, you know, they had probably double the number of guys on the team that we did. They were probably bigger than us. And it was week one, which is is always tough. Um, and I don't really remember much about that game other than I don't think the – what was the final score? It wasn't it wasn't very close. Um, I don't know if you have it there. But, um, but that was always a tough one, right? Rival, you want to beat them. Um, I hadn't I hadn't beat them in my four in my previous three years, which was um you know it was thirty-three to six yeah. and it was fourteen zero at half. Okay. Yeah. Um so that was tough. And then week two we played Lutheran West, right? Who Correct. was kind of like an unknown to us. I, I want to say that was maybe the first year we played them, or at least the first year in a while, probably. Getting them back yeah. on our schedule, yes. Um, so we didn't really know a whole lot about them. Um, I think that was a pretty close game. Um, I don't remember if the final score was close, but I think the game was pretty close. I remember Stu actually had a, a good game that year. He was he ended up being uh, one of the plain dealer players of the week that that game because it was all, I think both on offense and defense he had a, had a good game, but. There was just there was just unknown there. We hadn't played them. It's kind of a weird opponent for us, and so we ended up losing to them. And then week three, Gilmore uh, again. You know they were they were bigger than us, um, and they they just you know they, we just we struggled against them. Like you said, we really struggled to get the offense going those those games. And then and then we played Independence week four um, at at Independence. Actually, funny story about that game. That game was televised on like whatever the local, you know, like the. It was like a Delphi uh, local cable game of the week. Yeah, like the local cable game of the week. 
And uh, it must have been a, a relatively close game because at the end, we come out for an onside kick. And, and Bayless is our kicker. And uh, or actually, no, Bayless is just our just for onside kicks. I don't think Bayless was actually our kicker. I think Chris Coulter kicked off for us. But anyway, Bayless Bayless camp comes out for the onside kick. It's his first and and I think only onside kick attempt. He comes out and he he kicks the ball, and somehow it ended up you know it goes kind of towards the toward the other team, but instead of going forward, it ends up going backwards. And ends up behind where he kicked it from, and so a couple you know, the next day or a couple of days later, we had recorded the game uh, that because it was on TV. It was you know we were playing on TV. We wanted to be able to watch it, and I, I, I still to this day we talk about it. The uh, the we line up for the onside kick, and the the guy calling the game on TV says, uh, you know, "Brandon Bayless out for the onside kick. He kicks it. It goes backwards. He goes ah." I'm, the ball went backwards. I don't know what happened there. Must have hit a hit a rock or a pebble on the field or something. So the, I think actually, if you look at the school records, not only did Matt Corn have the records we talked about earlier, I think Brandon Bayless has the record for the uh, the shortest distance of an onside kick with negative yardage. Um, so I'm not sure if that that's in that record book there, but we might want to get that added. Uh, but. Yeah, this isn't baseball, so we're not tracking every step. Okay. Well, yeah, so his onside kick went backwards, and that was, like I said, the first and last onside kick we attempt attempted that year. Um, and uh, and Bayless will go down the record books, but yeah, so we, we lost to Independence too, and we're sitting at zero and four after four games. So we're at zero and four, and if you've ever had the misfortune of being a part of a couple of losses in a row, that each game that is coming up gets tougher and tougher because it's not just about preparing for that opponent. And from the physical aspect, it's the mental wall that you don't want to allow enter your thought process. And so week five, we have a home contest against undefeated Cuyahoga Heights, very strong program. And this was right about when as a program, they uh, really started to show their small school Northeast Ohio dominance and went on quite a streak of playoff appearances and had plenty of wins. And so going into that game, four and O versus O and four. And uh, we are down by 12 going into the fourth quarter. And we have a tradition probably like many other schools across uh, the area where as the third quarter comes to an end, all the players raise four fingers signifying the fourth quarter and the meaning of it of we have one more in us. We will fight till the end until it's zeros. And this game was just a tremendous example of that down 12 going into the fourth quarter. We outscore them 13 zero. We end up winning 20 to 19. Um, like I said, the offense really found its rhythm in this game and its identity. Um, the group up front, just getting on guys to the whistle and through the whistle, David Williams, the tailback that year had a really nice game. And if you could speak to what that feels like as an offensive line unit, to just be able to know that 
the coaches aren't calling a lot of variation when it comes to the play calls. And we're just, we're putting our trust in you. We're handing it to your teammate and let's get on hat on hat and let's go. Yeah. It, so I just I'm gonna take a step back first, to, cause this will set it up is those first four weeks going zero and four things are starting to kind of unravel a little bit. And we had high expectations, especially on the, for the running game, because we had David who was a, you know, a stud athlete. Um, and, and we had, we, and he had high expectations for what we would do with the running game that year. In those first four weeks, when we struggled to get the offense going, it, you know, it, I don't want to say it got ugly, but we'd come back to the huddle after a, after a running play where we'd pick up a yard and there was finger pointing going on and the offensive linemen were yelling at each other. And, you know, it just, it wasn't, you know, we were, we were facing adversity and things were tough and, 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 and we weren't handling it the way we should have. Um, and I remember after that independence loss, we had a captain's meeting, uh, me, Malcolm, David, and Stu it, we we met in the what used to be the old weight room uh, where there's the where those vending machines were put. We 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 shut the doors. The four of us went there. We just talked about how we needed to come together more as a team and needed to you know how you know we still believed in ourselves and but we were we were letting the rest of the team down by not showing that um, based on the way things had been going in those first couple of weeks and. How we just we just didn't we you know we weren't picking each other up we were doing the opposite um, and I remember we had that meeting we all kind of agreed you know we'd all um, take our respective areas you know uh, and 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 be leaders and um, and and take kind of an opposite approach of we need to show that we believe in ourselves that we believe our beliefs as as we used to say um, and believe in ourselves and that, that, you know, we could turn it around and that was, we weren't going to go 0 and 10. We weren't going to go, you know, you know, two and eight, like we were going to turn things around that week. We didn't care who we were playing. We didn't care that we had this team coming in who was four and zero at the time. And like you said, was really became kind of a powerhouse in the, in the area. Um, And so things kind of started to click even that week in practice before that, before we went out and played. Um, and, and it was, I think it was that meeting kind of just us committing to, to, you know, recommitting um, to, to, to be leaders and to, to, to pick each other up when things weren't going well versus beating each other down. Um, and so we went out and we had a good week of practice. And then I just remember that, that week, that game, um, we uh, we had our normal tradition of walking the road where, you know, we would we'd get dressed in our locker room. I don't know, probably about a half a quarter of a mile down the road from from where we played from the field. And we'd walk out as a team two by two in silence down the road. And when you get to the end of the road is the, the field house where, uh, you know, uh, where we'd go right before the game at halftime, but the other team, that was their locker room, essentially. They'd show up and they'd have that field house. And so whenever we'd walk down the road and we'd get to the end of the road, the other team would be there because that field house was right there. And so that was kind of the first time we would see the other team. They'd see us. And and I remember we walked by and we walked right into the field house and we're sitting there waiting. Um, you know, I think the, the 
guys were just getting ready to start to go out to warm up. And I remember Coach McClintock came in and he was livid. He was just like screaming about, did you hear what they were saying? Did you hear them mocking you when you walked by? You guys just got laughed at. You got laughed at. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget this. Screaming at us, banging wall. I mean, it was like, I didn't know. I mean, I don't. Honestly, I don't know if they were laughing at us and mocking us, but, and I don't, you know, I don't even, I don't want to know, but whatever, whatever happened, um, he got us fired up. And I think from that moment, we were just locked in and focused. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we were down going to the fourth quarter, but like I said, we, we committed that we would believe in ourselves. Um, and, uh, and, and we, uh, we went out and, and it's actually funny the the run game piece, um, we put in a play that week. Actually, we put in an ISO play that week. I think we, I think it was an ISO um, where uh, I was playing right tackle, um, and and Ralston was the um, the what is it, Z Z back on the other side? Is that what we yeah, he was in slot Lock formation, guy. just outside. Slot yeah. guy. Actually, he would he'd be on the other side of the formation though. And on this ISO play, he'd come in motion. I'd kick out the the tackle or the guy outside of me. And Ralston would turn up and seal off the linebacker. And this was a new play that we had put in that week. It, clearly, coaches saw something on, on film. And we ran that play over and over and over and over again. And, and we were picking up yardage every time. I mean, every time we'd pick up six, seven, eight, ten, twelve, whatever yards. And – Halfway through the fourth quarter, every time I'd kick this guy out, Ralston would turn up, usually put the linebacker on his butt, and, and Debo would run, you know, for through the hole and pick up whatever. And it was midway through the fourth quarter when finally the linebacker that Ralston was putting on his butt the entire game stood up and yells to the sideline, Coach, he's coming from over there. They couldn't figure out what was going on with this motion and him coming up. It wasn't, I don't think it was that fancy of a play, but for some reason they couldn't figure it out. And so we ran that play over and over and over again. And and basically we ran our way to, to that first win, uh, you know, beating that, that four and O team, the, the own four underdog beating the, the four and O team. Yeah. So Stu Ralston was a uh, bigger wide receiver. He's about six two, right around 200 pounds. And he would motion across. And like you said, we would block out, on purpose with you on the edge and bring him up as a lead blocker or trapper, depending on where first threat showed. Yeah. Because prior to that, we're running a lot of trap scheme with our guards and we were really having trouble hitting inside traps. So this was a way for us to get inside and to be able to give a different look. And, uh, it was a nice little concept for us. Uh, a nice little wrinkle that definitely surprised them. I want to go back to that uh, captain's meeting that you guys called before um, the week of the Cuyahoga Heights game. That's big. That's big of you guys to, as you know, 18 year olds, 17 year olds to be able to say, you know what, we're not living up to our leadership capabilities. And it's easy when things are going smooth, right? Yeah. And really we do find out so much about ourselves when, uh, when we get that bump in the road and for you guys to come together as a group of four, and sort of recalibrate things and say, this is what I individually and us collectively are going to do differently. Uh, that speaks to the type of captains that you four were. So um, I was looking through 
the scrapbook from your guys' season and the uh, parents do just a tremendous job every season putting these scrapbooks together with pictures and articles from the game and things like that. And uh, the pictures after the Cuyahoga Heights game are just so fun to to look at because you just have these players embraced with each other and coach McClintock embraced with David Williams and coach Christie. And it's just really, uh, it's really fun to look at those all these years later and just be able to remember how that felt. Yeah. yeah I mean, they we were looking forward to that first win for a long time and not just those first four weeks, but for, for since those first, you know, that first spring meeting that we had in, you know, in May probably where we started to talk about what the, what the year would look like. So, and you know, there's traditions that you, you can't take part in until you, until you get a win. We wanted to, we wanted to somersault over that goal line. We wanted to count it up at the end of the game. We wanted to have kangaroo court the next week. There's a lot of things we wanted to do that we had weren't zong stickers. Zonks. Yep. Yep. So uh, yeah, we were looking forward to that one. So we talked about the offense finding its rhythm because of that game. And so the following week we have Kirtland and the offense um, specifically the running game, just absolutely dominant performance. 26, zero shutout over Kirtland, Uh, David Williams, 240 some yards, three touchdowns. As a team, we rush for 360 yards on 55 carries, so you know we're not throwing the ball or needing to throw the ball uh, too much. So just let those five linemen in front do their thing. Let's run our scheme, whether it is trying to get the edge or whether we're down scheming and pulling guys, but it is hat on hat, physical show us that you can stop it because we are going to keep coming back and running it and running it. And we did. Yeah. When you, when you can, when you can do that when you can go out and just run the ball 55 times to a, in, in route to a 26 0 win, it just gives you so much confidence uh, as a unit, as a team, but also as an offensive line. I think the other thing that we should talk about for a second is coach McClintock switched to coach the offensive line that year. He, he had coached, running backs before that maybe um and uh and he changed some things up and he changed up some of our schemes but he also changed up some of our techniques right and like i was we were all doing things that we hadn't done before and so you know with anything it takes time to learn new schemes and and you know maybe that's why it took a couple weeks for us to 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 hit our stride but i think he change the game for us as an offensive line unit in just, it wasn't just the, the, the schemes, like I said, it was the technique and I had played it. I played offensive line all four years and we, we had done some things. We'd changed some techniques that we, you know, it, it maybe took us a couple of weeks to figure it out, but once we figured it out, we were, we were going. And the other thing he did, which I, you know, still to this day, I give him, credit for and I don't know you know he was so dedicated we would come in for film the next day the next morning after a Friday night game or a Monday from a Saturday game and he he graded us the offensive linemen on every single play so we'd get a sheet of the entire games the script of the game with a grade next to what you know us and, and, a, and a note of you know led with your left foot instead of your right whatever it was 
And so he would go in and he would dissect in film each week. And like I said, we'd come back after a Friday night game and get back 10, 11 o'clock and be back in the film room at 9 a.m. the next morning. And he'd have those sheets for us. He's probably staying up till, I don't know, two, three, watching every single play, creating every single guy. Um, and we, you know, I think just that alone and even the in-game adjustments, we'd come off the field, he'd have the, he'd have the whiteboard there and he'd be showing us things that we were doing. And I think that that really helped us uh, as a unit really get going. Yeah, it's how we get our how we get our information right, so that we can improve. And so, for some, we can watch film the next day, and we can hear those verbal um, critiques and praises, and we can see ourselves taking those reps on each play, and we can do what needs to be done and go about the week to follow the coaching to get better for you. Like you're saying to get that written piece and to get that amount of work that coach McClintock put together for you guys that was personalized meant more Mm -hmm. for you. What we're doing these days with huddle is just light years past that. It's the similar type of work, but you can put it on um, and just share it out so much quicker. Um, Technology is kind of a cool thing that way. Yeah. Speeds things up and streamlines. Wish we had some of that. Do you remember uh, having to go into coach's office to watch film, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was not, uh, it was not passed around digitally. No. It was a super VHS copy. Uh, the, I mean, the, the big upgrade we had when I was there is we got the handheld remote control where you could like forward, backward, pause, play. That was not not like the regular VHS player remote control. But yeah, we'd watch film in, in the office and there'd be that couch that probably three guys could fit on. Well, th- three three people should normally fit on it. We'd put like six guys on the couch. Somebody would be like <laughs> sitting on the armrest. Somebody would be in coach's chair if he wasn't in there. Somebody would be in that other chair next to the desk. People would be standing by the door and we'd all like huddle around that I don't know, 25 inch TV. Now it was the, that was the, you know, the week of film, the actual film session after the game, we'd go in that, that back health room and all watch on a projector. But yeah, we, there was no taking film. You'd go, when you went home, that was it. You couldn't watch film at home. So you, you know, sometimes, oftentimes you coach would, would leave for the night and say, okay, well, you know, last guy here, lock up the office. Cause we were staying watching film it's not like we were watching until nine, 10 at night at night, but you know, if practice would end at five 36, we'd be there till seven, eight. And, and he'd, he'd leave and just say, make sure you turn the lights off and lock up. So that's how we watch film. So after that Kirtland win, uh, the remainder of the season is kind of much of much of the same. The offense is clicking. The running game is just uh, punishing the opposing defenses and uh, we close out with four straight victories over Grand Valley, Cardinal, Richmond Heights, and Fairport. Um, not one of those four opponents score over two touchdowns in a game. Uh, three of those games are just single touchdown games for them. Uh, our lowest output was 27. Our highest was 57. So that offense uh, was just cruising. Um, so that Fairport game, home game on a Saturday, didn't have the lights yet. You're a couple years prior to uh, lights being installed out at our field. That Fairport game is going. It's a it's a great uh, it's a great finish to your senior season. 
season ends. How does that, uh, how does that feel? Um, I think we were proud of what we accomplished of turning things around after starting 0 and 4. Um, I think the, the kind of the bummer for us was, and I think there was even a headline in the paper. I don't know if it was news Herald or plain dealer, but it was, it was like something like Hawks, the hottest team to not make the playoffs. And because we had rolled off six straight wins and we're, we're winning in pretty much dominant fashion. It was a, it was a bummer that, you know, we, we win one of those first four games based on strength of schedule. We probably would have been in the playoffs. Um, so it was a little bit of a, you know, we were disappointed on um, disappointed in the moment that the season was ending there, but looking back at it in hindsight, I think just really proud of, of how we turn things around and, you know, you sit there own four, you've got two choices. You can just retreat and, and kind of concede that the season's not going to go the way we wanted it to. And, and that's it. Or you could, you could double down, you could buckle up and you could say, okay, you know, first four weeks were the first four weeks that's behind us. Now we've got, you know, we're, you had to look at it of like, we're, we're O and O each week, the same way we looked at it at halftime, you know, first half didn't matter. Cancel check zero, zero. It's what you do next. That's going to matter. Um, and so I think the fact that, that we were, we were able to do that. Um, we were all pretty proud, but um, you know, that last game is tough. It was, it was, we were, it, I don't think that Fairport game was close. And so, you know, and, and they were, you know, they were a smaller school with low numbers. So we knew we were pretty confident that we were going to go out and win that game. And I think towards the end, even we had, we put some of the the younger guys in. So it's kind of like, um, you know, it's, it's, it was a, it was a happy day because, you know, we, we won and it was great, but, it was the last time you're going to take those pads off. I mean, I remember thinking about that going in the locker room and not wanting to take my pads off because I knew that it was the last time I was going to take the pads off. Um, and so, you know, it was, it was bittersweet, but, it, but again, I think looking back on it that year, um, we accomplished so much uh, and, and, and really grew. I mean, I think it was, it was the tale of two seasons um, and, and, how we were able to grow as a team and grow as individuals after that, those first couple of weeks um, is, is certainly what I will remember most of that year. Yeah, that's very well put, John. Um, I think the, uh, the way that you guys as seniors and the other three classes persevered and, you know, you're down, like you said, Oh, and four, you know, it's easy to say, "Hey, we gotta, we gotta right the ship. We gotta do things differently." We're, you know, next game, next game. Don't worry about the previous four. This next game, or if you go in at halftime, like you said, and maybe you're on the short end, and the last thing we say before we leave the field house is always, "It's zero zero. It's easy to say zero zero. It's easy to fall in line with that and just like, "Hey, that's." It's almost like it's ingrained. We're supposed to say zero zero. It's another to actually believe it. It's another to actually leave, leave that field house and do something about it. And I think you guys were a great representation for uh, that fight and that focus on the task and what it was going to take. So one of the things that definitely I'm impressed with for uh, you and your classmates.
Let's take a pause for this week's Ask Coach segment. If you'd like to be a part of the Ask Coach segment, visit the I Went Down to the River Instagram account, and there you can submit your questions. Today's question comes from John Gottlieb. John wants to know, why is it called the Garden Club? <laughs> uh, John, yeah, that's, uh, well, it's it's not something that in your career you strive to be a member of the Garden Club, but uh, Garden Club is simply, uh, you know, if you, you, you think of having a garden, and uh, there are people that'll just go out there and they'll just stand and look at the garden. They may not work at the garden, in the garden, and then try to cultivate it to, to kind of look better and better and better, but they just go out and they just look at it. They like to look at it. And so that garden club was really the players that, uh, for whatever reason, could be an injury or it could be whatever, that they uh, they weren't able to practice on a given day. And so the garden club would have to be there, but they wouldn't be involved in practicing and stuff like that. But uh, we would just have them be there and on the sideline watching watching, looking at the team, working out there on the field, and hoping to get out of that garden club as soon as possible. And now back to the interview. We are going to, we're going to transition into a two-minute drill segment. And so I'm going to put two minutes on, but we'll see how many questions we get through here for two minutes. All right. Okay. All right. What tradition was your favorite? It's tough because there's so many. Um, probably orangutans on the bus ride home. Thanks. All right. Any any significance to your jersey number? Yeah, it was um, the same number my brother wore. I don't know why he picked it, but he he wore it, and then we overlapped for a year. So uh, that year I was um, I was a different number, and then I switched to it. So kept it in the family. Today, what are you closest to? Your forty time, your eight hundred time, or your bench? Oh man, none of the above. <laughs> <laughs> I like your honesty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. What upperclassmen had the biggest impact on you? Um, I mean, I'd say my brother because, but you know, that's an easy, easy answer. Probably I'd say a close second or right there was, was probably Frank Tupta um, who came in to Hawken. Uh, he didn't, he wasn't at Hawken in freshman or even sophomore year. I think he started junior year. Um, but he, he kind of brought a little bit of a different mentality. What makes good fudge? TLC, baby. Could you diagram a play from your senior year offensive playbook? Oh yeah. I could, I could draw up a trap for sure. You got trap. Yeah. What's the trap scheme for you at right tackle? Well, it depends, I guess, front side or backside, but, uh, if it's front side, I think I'm I'm heading right up to the linebacker. I think. Yeah, down scheme working to that inside backer. And if I'm backside, I'm filling for the guard who just pulled. Zone inside. Yep. yep. All right, there we go. That's two minutes. All right. So, forty eight hundred bench. You couldn't even you couldn't even muster up one. It's probably my eight hundred. I would say. 
Okay. I mean, my knees are shot. So 40, I don't think, I don't think anything's happening. <laughs> I don't think I'm getting anywhere close. Um, and bench, I worked out way more in high school than I ever have since. So uh, I'm not touching that for sure. That 800. Yeah. I dreaded that 800. I dreaded the 800 uh, almost as much as I dreaded stations. Maybe actually more, to be honest. Uh, I was there. I would definitely say that you had more fear about that 800. How do you, I, I mean, I would think either. like, I don't know why I was so, I, I had so much fear because I never missed my target. Right here, John. It's between, it's between the ears. I remember for you. Coach Rodriguez. I was, uh, I was working for him that summer or a couple of those summers, actually. I remember the day we were running the 800. Was, was that assistant to, assistant to the, uh, yeah. The day I was running the 800, I remember we were like unloaded boxes of books or something in a classroom and I was so stressed about it. I remember he like went up to the whiteboard and was, he basically draw out a track for me and was basically, it was coaching me through what my like pacing needed to be in order to, <laughs> to make my time. <laughs> Do you remember what time you had to make? It was, it was like the slowest time, whatever the slowest time was. <laughs> Three minutes or something ridiculous. Come on. That no, was probably what? 240? 250, 240, somewhere in there. Yeah. That. I actually think one year I was maybe not the slowest time. I was the time right, the second to slowest. You made gray group? <laughs> yeah, I made gray group. I was a lineman. I mean, come on. Someone's going to be right. that last group. <laughs> uh, um, so our last segment is going to be transitioning to um, post college and talking professional. Um, and so my first question for you um, is going to be, how did playing football in high school for the Hawks prepare you for post-college life? I think, I mean, it prepared me immensely. I think it's all of the lessons that we, that we talked about as we were going through, you know, replaying that senior year, um, just facing adversity and being able to, to overcome adversity, you know, not everything's going to go the way you plan for it to go. And you've got to, like we did when we were at that pivotal point, sometimes you got to make a decision of how you're going to handle things to move forward. Um, and so, you know, for me, those experiences and, and, and all those things we used to, we used to say about, you know, believe in your beliefs and, um, and, and knowing where to go and get there and make something happen when you get there, all those things ring true. I mean, uh, the job I have now was the fourth job I applied for at the NFL. I got rejected from the NFL three times before I got the job I have today. And after that first rejection, second rejection, third rejection, I could have easily just said, okay, forget it. This isn't meant to be, it's not going to happen. But, um, you know, some of those lessons I learned early on of, of looking forward, not looking back, believing in yourself, um, those kind of, those made me continue to pursue what I thought I wanted to do. And so, you know, that at a high level, I think, um, really helped me, um, you know, initially kind of get where I, where I am, but even like day to day, I mean, you're going to have things that aren't going to go as planned. 
you're going to, you know, just like we used to watch film and, and look back and dissect what, what worked, what didn't work. I mean, you, you do that after meetings. I do that after calls. You do that, you know, after, after, after each day, what, what did I do well today? What did I not do well today? How am I going to get better tomorrow? Um, and so all of those lessons that you learn that you're not necessarily going to get in the classroom, uh, it's just different. It's, you know, sure you have tests and you get graded and you, 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 you obviously want to improve academically, but it's just, it's just different. And I remember, you know, we used to say that you're not, you know, you're not going to remember that fifth period AP chemistry test that you got to see on or be on. I, I, I don't remember, right. Cause you're not going to remember it, but you're going to remember that week five game where you were the under the, the own four underdog and the four no, you know, against the four no powerhouse. And, and so it's those lessons that I think, I've taken into what I, what I do and, and who I am that have, that have helped me and have stuck with me. That's why the football field or the gym or the natatorium or whatever is such a great classroom for life. Yeah. Because there are so many things that are learned and uh, just tremendous value. Yeah. Tremendous value. Think about all of those places is it's all about being a part of a team and in in the classroom it's just you right you're graded your grade doesn't impact the, the person next to you and what college you get into doesn't impact the person next to you but on a football field your assignment and you you know succeeding or failing at your assignment most certainly impacts the person next to you and that's how it is in life that's how it is in in business Right. I mean, we're I'm part of a organization with twelve hundred people. We all need to be moving in the same direction to to meet our our goals. Um and and that's why I think those lessons of being part of a team, um, you know, being accountable to others, um, that's what I think that's why I think those lessons and, and those experiences are are what what you know what have stuck with me. Uh so long. So you reached out to the NFL and were turned down a couple of times. You end up then, I think you said it was your fourth time you apply and you get the position. Speak to uh, what it is that you do for the league. So I'm in the, the partnerships group. And so our team um, is responsible for managing and selling corporate national partnerships to, you know, companies like Pepsi and Visa and Verizon who are, are, uh, are using the NFL in different ways to, to drive their business. Um, and I'm fortunate that I, while I'm not on the football side, um, I still get to be surrounded by the game every day and, you know, we're helping Pepsi sell soda, but they're doing that because of this game and because of, uh, of the passion of, of fans. And so, um, I'm pretty lucky that I get to, to, to be a part of that every day. So with Super Bowl just ending this past week, I knew I had a very small window to be able to reach out to you. Um, any, any sort of, um, feelings about how things went with the Super Bowl just in the context of making it run in a COVID year? 
Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's actually it's interesting because everything we just talked about, I think, is is a big reason why we were able to do what we were able to do this year. And just the fact that people needed to work together more so than ever before. I actually felt this way initially after the draft this year in in uh, late April, where, um, you know, we were only a month or so into the pandemic and nobody really knew what was what was going to happen and what was going on. And we had to pivot on plans for a draft that was supposed to be in, in Las Vegas pretty quickly um, and figure out how the draft was going to operate and how it was going to run in a virtual way for the first time ever. And there was so much teamwork that happened across the entire organization. I remember actually talking to some of my colleagues about it after is in the seven years I've been at the NFL, I've never seen the organization work so well together because we had to, right? Not only were we trying to recreate the draft, but everybody was at home. Everybody was working remotely and we just, we, you had to figure it out. You had to work together to, to, to get things done. Um, and I think it's actually interesting because um, because I work at the NFL, I think there are more people at the NFL who played uh, sports growing up in, in high school, even college than probably most organizations. I'm sure we over-index in that. And so I think people have a little bit of a different mentality and attitude of how to get things done. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, just after, I remember reflecting after the draft of how amazing and impressive that was. And <laughs> I thought by September when the season started, we'd be fine and things would be normal. And here we are almost a year later, not knowing what the draft's going to look like in a couple of months from now, but um, it was pretty amazing to be a part of it. And, you know, in the role that I'm in, we played a small part in um, in actually having the season, you know, being able to play the season, start on time and finish on time. There's so much work that went in from um, from health and safety, uh, the health and safety people and football operations, game day operations people and our events people um, to really make the season go. But it was, uh, you know, just like any organization who's trying to figure it out now there's no playbook for this and so you know just trying to 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 be creative and be flexible and nimble and adaptable and and just figure out how to get things done on the fly um is how we how we were able to to achieve it and it's kind of it's amazing that we got through it and like i said now we're kind of sitting here today trying to figure out what the next couple of weeks and months look like which nobody really knows either so We'll see where it goes. So the last question I'll ask is a couple months out with the NFL draft scheduled to be hosted by Cleveland and Northeast Ohio locations. Can we, uh, can we look forward to it looking a little bit more normal than it did last year, which lived exclusively in a zoom setting, so to speak? Yeah, I think so. I mean, nobody really knows what tomorrow is going to bring. So you can't say with certainty, but um, we, we have learned so much. I think the entire, I think everybody has learned so much in the last year of how to operate in, in this, um, in this pandemic and how to, you know, how to do so safely. And um, the fact that we were able to play all 256 regular season games this year and the playoffs and the Super Bowl and, you know, we had a couple hundred thousand people down in Tampa at the fan experience that took place from the week leading up to the Super Bowl in a safe way. Um, I think we've kind of 
now we have a little bit of a playbook that we can follow for how we can can hold events in a safe and responsible way. And if there's anything that that I've learned or, or anybody who follows the the sport has, has learned over the last 10 months is that we are committed to doing everything we can to to continue you know, playing. Um, and that is, and, and, and continue with our events. And so, you know, um, I hope it, I hope it can happen in a, in a somewhat normal way, um, because the draft is such an amazing event. And when Cleveland was awarded the draft, um, back in 2019, I personally was, you know, thrilled, not only as a, as a Clevelander and somebody who could now show off my city to, to, to the world, but just for what an event like the draft can do for a city economically and all the, you know, the, the, the tourism that it typically would bring, um, the draft has become like a mini Super Bowl, And in many ways, from a fan perspective, even bigger than the Super Bowl, because the Super Bowl for the two teams who are playing is great. And for everybody else is great that, you know, stay home and watch it on, on game day. Um, but the draft is is the point in the year where all 32 teams are on the same same playing field. Everyone's everyone's O and O, and there's optimism across the board, um, unless you're a Jets fan. And uh, and uh, you know everybody's kind of looking um, looking forward to the future. And I remember the first time we moved the draft out of New York into Chicago. Uh, I want to say back in 2014 or 15. You would see you would see fans walking around with all 32 team jerseys on and it's just you know it's kind of like a it has become not only the tv event that happens on thursday night but a, a football festival um of three days of just you know of the nfl kind of taking over a city and so i hope for for the city i hope it can happen in a in a somewhat normal manner and uh I think if anything, we're committed to hopefully, you know, getting it there. We just need to, we don't know what, what tomorrow will bring. So we'll, we'll continue to navigate as, as we go. John, thanks for, uh, for that uh, breakdown of the NFL and the draft, which is on its way to Cleveland in a couple of months. Uh, it's really interesting to hear your perspective on that thank you for your time sitting down and sharing those stories from your playing days middle school through senior year i have a call to action for you john is a uh, a new father and he has a young uh, little boy and uh, i'm wondering how soon can you start working on that three-point stance and then how soon can you start working on that snap action so that you're in his ear yelling zip, zip, zip. <laughs> and he doesn't, and he doesn't snap it we, at the wrong we time. Recreate that. I don't know. We're, yeah. We're, we're working on the three point stance. First, got to work on standing and then we'll, we'll work on all the right other proper techniques that go into that three point stance. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be sure to get on that. That's awesome. Congrats again on the, uh, on the, on the newborn. Thanks. Thanks for spending time with us today. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend and spread the word. And until the next episode, like my dad always says, good night, Irene.